Hello, and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all of my original listeners, welcome back. To those new to the show, welcome. I am a storytelling historian with a great love for the Plantagenet dynasty, as I am a direct descendant to Geoffrey of Anjou via my paternal line on my grandmother Carter's side. I descend through Diana Skipwith, daughter of Sir Henry Skipwith and Amy Kemp. Diana married Captain Thomas Carter. They immigrated to the Americas in 1650, settling in Barford in Lancaster County, Virginia. So with that said, please like and download the show as it helps other listeners learn about the show. If you wish to support this podcast, there is a link for you to do so, and it would be much appreciated as it would help with costs of maintaining the website www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find the podcast as well as extra items for each episode you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode. Welcome to Time Team, and this week we've really got to sort the wood from the trees, or the forest to be precise. Because this is Sherwood, Britain's best-known forest, famous not only for its mighty oaks, but also for its legends of bad kings and popular outlaws. And while we can't tackle one of England's most enduring legends in three days, we might be able to add something to the story. Just a couple of miles away on the fringes of Sherwood Forest, residents of a Nottinghamshire village believe a ruined building in a farmer's field may have played a part in those ancient tales. Not only that, but some of the villagers believe this could actually have been part of King John's palace. Seriously? Could there really be a long-lost palace in this field? I've got so many pieces of evidence for buildings that we should be finding on site. This is high status. This is quality stuff. Certainly wouldn't have got the king drinking out of one of those. We could be on the verge of a major discovery. Three days, yadda yadda yadda, you know the score. It's going to be a cracking dig. Touch wood. generations, these ruins have excited the residents of old Clipston village. The history books describe these crumbling walls as the remains of a royal hunting lodge, but the locals believe it was actually a palace, a vast complex of chambers, chapels and halls where King John stayed when hunting in Sherwood Forest. We're looking for evidence to prove them right or wrong. And eager to get on, John and the geophysics team are making an early start on their site survey. Looks like we've got our own bad King John already. (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) Well, we've got such a big site to survey, we thought we'd make an early start. And how have you done? Pretty good, pretty good. The magnetics, having said that, are not that exciting. That doesn't look pretty good to me. No, but look at Jimmy's radar. Ah. He's done a small block. There's the standing wall behind us, and it looks as though we've got a whole range going down the slope there. Buildings, 
possibly a round tower? Staircase? You go and talk to Mick. Well, he knows him... what I think. We're going to carry on working. <laughs> I'll get him to uh, agree to put a trench in where you wanted it. Mick. Good morning, young uh, sir. So, Good there's the standing building. Yeah. That's what we've got. Yeah. Where do we put the trench in? Uh, we think we ought to put a trench across that dark line there to see whether that's a wall or not. We also need to know what these black lines are coming across here. Are they wall lines? Are they buttresses? We don't yeah. know. So a right angled trench across there, across there will solve that and will solve that. We can then extend it through this circular blob here. Is that big enough to be a tower? More likely a, a stair turret to get up to the, the floor above. Of the palace? Uh, well, yeah, if that's what we want to call it. Of course it is! <laughs> and of course we do! But if we dig it, we'll find out. Okay. It's a bit little for a palace. <laughs> As John and his team spread their nets wider, looking for the full extent of the complex, Phil opens Trench 1. If this ruined building was once the hall of a royal lodge, then evidence for additional grand buildings in Phil's trench could help us prove that it was indeed a palace. Everyone's hopeful that the strong radar results will translate into solid archaeology under the ground. It's getting uh, quite mortary down here. It's certainly changing. Old Clipston village in the heart of the East Midlands would make an ideal location for King John's hunting lodge. It's just 15 miles from his power base of Nottingham, in the middle of what was then a far larger Sherwood Forest. This field is going to have to turn up some seriously high-status finds if mixed to be persuaded that this is anything more than a high-end hunting lodge. But an exquisite piece of carved stone found on the site by the landowners looks promising for our palace theory, as Mary Ann is finding out. My husband found this some 20 years ago. It had obviously fallen from the ruin. It's got marks on made by the stonemasons, an absolutely wonderful bit of uh, masonry that wows uh, archaeologists. Their knees turn to jelly when they see this. And more than anything, this is such a high status piece. It proves that the likelihood is that we're looking for a palace. Mickey, what is it that you want us to do? There is a vast complex here, and at the moment only three standing walls. Documentary evidence gives us lists of buildings and chambers for kings and queens. It's got to be there. So we need to find out what's under the ground? We do. Then it can be scheduled, it can be listed, and it will be made safe even when I'm not here. So, yes, this is what I want. <laughs> No small order. Three days to find enough of a palace complex to put it on the protected monuments list. Only then could Mickey be confident it'd be safe from future development. Trench One's not encouraging, though. So far, I can't see anything for dust. We've got this great geophys. We've got a potential palace which may well have been owned by one of the most iconic kings in English history. Except, look, what have we got? Nothing, Mick. What are you doing there? There's nothing there. I didn't hear you ask permission to get in there. At I all. didn't need to. I was just walking on topsoil virtually. What, what, what is that then? Well, it's just earth, isn't it? It is demolition rubble of an enormous building. But it's so small and crumbly. That is the decayed mortar that would have held together the stones of this once magnificent building. 
The radar shows that the, the stone walls, if that's what they are, start at about half a metre down and go down for half a metre. So we're not at that level yet. What we don't want to do is use the machine to take this rubble off and wreck any stonework or structures within it. John's confidence in his radar is still rock solid. It's early days yet. Now you've got another metre to go. And further reassurance comes from finds made on this site over 50 years ago. I'm instantly drawn to this beautiful head. It's Tell me about fabulous, it. fabulous, isn't it? Well, stone's not really my thing, but, I mean, that's very obviously a very posh bit of medieval carved stone. Is it a dog? Dog, dragon, wolf, I don't know, something with big pointy teeth, whatever it is. Something you find in the forest? Well, I suppose if it's a hunting lodge, you could expect to be representations of hunting dogs or something like that here, maybe. What else did they find? Well, all the sort of thing you'd expect to find on a medieval site, really. Your pottery, glass, bits of roof tile, lead, carved stone, you name it, really, it's all here. That's all indicating that this is a really elite structure. We've got evidence of a posh building, certainly. I mean, we've got the window glass, we've got plenty of lead, and we've also got this. Now, this is a glazed roof tile. That's a ridge tile. Lovely. Call them coxcombs, because they've got these cutouts on them, yeah? So that goes along the top of the roof? Exactly, yeah. That's only the sort of thing you'd find on a posh house in the medieval period. It's not the sort of thing that um, a peasant would have on their house. It's something you expect to see on a manor house or a royal hunting lodge, you know? It's, that's, that's one of the, the, the only ceramic object that says anything about status, really. So this says King John's hunting lodge? It says high-status building. <laughs> Clearly, our hunting lodge was top-notch. But what of the buildings that stood alongside it? Were they equally grand? Phil might be getting some clues. Found some nice bits of masonry then, mate. <laughs> uh, you told me there was absolutely nothing here, Tony. No, it was you who said that. <laughs> oh, what? It was I was just you. wording you up. <laughs> I swore blind there was a really good building here, and we've really got the evidence for it now. Look, we've started to get really well-constructed masonry. Yeah. Look at this lovely block. That's interesting, that bit there, isn't well, it? Well, exactly. I mean, I don't know whether that's part of a door fitting or maybe a, a, to take a, a, a window mullion, maybe that would have been leaded in, but they're all good architectural features. And then this, look, gives you some idea of what the walls must have been like. Is that plaster? Absolutely, yeah. You can see there's this lovely thin skim of plaster right over the surface of the stone. But this is our star piece. You've got here these lovely tool marks that go all the way down, and then on the edge here, a bit of a chamfer. Got a beautiful curve on it, isn't it? Absolutely, but when you come round... Oh! Look, you've got this beautiful mason's mark. It's like a sort of St John's cross, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And, I mean, look how crisp it is. Yeah. Now, whether or not this is coming out of a window or part of a uh, spiral staircase, I'm not sure. but. This is a really nice piece of architectural I know, material. I know Mick was a bit sceptical first thing, wasn't he? But this is high status. Oh, God, that, this is quality stuff. I mean, this, this stone, well, it's probably being brought in uh, for a considerable distance to make what is, a, as you say, a high status building. Well, keep digging. <laughs> Royal hunting lodges were very popular with the kings of medieval England, and John was no exception. He loved nothing more than to travel between his lodges and palaces to hunt deer and wild boar in the royal forests. Just an arrow's flight away from our site is Sherwood Forest, where King John and his courtiers would have enjoyed days out hunting deer. 
But the abundant wildlife in the forest also attracted some unwanted attention, as Alex and Marianne are finding out. So what would the forest have been like, Tony? Um, well, around here it was quite open. Um, it wasn't really that dense, that thick. There was lots of open spaces, and, and so on. That's where the, uh, um, the huntsmen would really do what they needed to do. You couldn't just go in there. Uh, you know, you had to have special permission. Only foresters and verderers and people like that were allowed to go in there. Almost a third of England's countryside was designated royal forest and commandeered for the king's pleasure. And as the forest became a playground for the nobility, forest law kept peasants out denying them access to woodland that for generations had supplied them with meat, firewood and building materials. This bred resentment and forced some to turn to poaching for survival. There were gangs of poachers, of course, that would move about. And, of course, this is where this, this kind of Robin Hood idea comes from. Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, again, Robin Hood is uh, uh, just a single character when there are absolutely uh, hundreds you could pick. Mm. Robin Hood is just the one that everybody knows about. Um, robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. Rubbish, really. He robbed from the rich and kept it. He robbed from anybody and kept it himself. <laughs> Shameful. I'm assuming that if you were caught for poaching, the punishments would be quite harsh. Oh, yeah, they were terrible. Um, all kinds of things uh, could happen to you. Um, you could have had your hands cut off, or your eyes put out, uh, your ears locked, your nose could have been split or cut off. That's a mark of shame, I'm assuming. Yeah, you yeah, can't absolutely. ever go back and do it again. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to draw a bow if I've cut one of your hands off. So, uh, yeah, it was... Um... Plenty of incentive then to go vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> back on site, never mind finding a palace, we haven't yet found a single wall from this morning's geophysics results. Despite its early promise, Phil's trench is in danger of turning into a right royal puzzle. Found my palace? No, not quite. <laughs> not quite sounds <laughs> not, not ominous. Not quite. <laughs> what have we got? We've got the line of the wall that we were looking for this morning, but we haven't actually got the wall itself. The main structure of the wall is here, in the demolition rubble. That is all that remains of the wall. It's all gone. Yeah. What about my mysterious tower? Your mysterious tower remains a mystery. It's somewhere down there. It's not obvious yet, is it? So, let's get this right. When I said there wasn't anything in this trench this morning and you both went, uh, basically, I was right. You were absolutely wrong. Totally, totally wrong. Look, how about all those wonderful carved stones that I showed you earlier on? Beautiful pieces of masonry. The palace, if that's what it is, is here. Tony, how do you think day one's gone? It's been a funny old day, really, hasn't it? At the beginning of the day, everyone's going, there's a palace here, there's a palace here, the geophysics is fantastic. We put it in the first trench, and by mid-afternoon, what have we got? One fairly manky, robbed-out wall. Oh, but hang on. We've had years and years of really high-status finds coming out of this field. There's got to be a palace here. We've got two days more. We'll find it tomorrow, Chin won't we? Chin up. There's a palace in this field. We are Robin Hood and Maid Marian. We never give up. Tomorrow we find the palace. The hope.
Beginning of day two here in Nottinghamshire, right by Sherwood Forest, where we're trying to find out whether this wall belongs to a palace, and not just any palace, a palace belonging to bad King John. Yesterday afternoon, Phil thought he'd found an extension to this wall in his trench here, but looking at it in the cold light of day, we seem to have a little platform and a few desultory stones and then nothing. There's not much here anymore. There is a wall here, Tony. <laughs> when they built the wall, particularly on this sand, they would have probably needed to put down a solid concrete base, if you like. This would be the base to support the wall. The ground level would probably have been up, at least up to here. You've probably got nearly two metres of foundation. This bit has all been eroded away, ploughed away, and is down the slope. These would be very, very substantial foundations. And what about these desultory stones behind you? What was the word? Desultory, yeah. <laughs> I must look that up. These desultory stones, as you put them, could actually... I mean, they are all lying together. It looks like they've probably broken in situ. It may actually still be part of the war. It really might be. You can't help but admire Phil's doggedness. But on the evidence of his trench, it would appear that the palace has simply disappeared, lost under a sea of rubble. But maybe we're looking in the wrong place. Mick's got a new plan. It's relatively flat up here, rather than being on the edge of the hill. And I'm even wondering whether this surviving wall acted as a bit of a dam, so that what would normally have got washed off this hilltop didn't. So we're radaring this to see what there is there. And then if it looks as if there is more here, we shall do an evaluation here as well. Leaving Phil scratching his head in trench one, Geophys extends the hunt behind the standing wall. While Matt opens a fresh trench across a strong feature that showed up on the radar survey. This could be an intact section of medieval wall. Everyone's hoping that this time we'll find more of the royal complex than just demolition dirt. There's not much in it at all, is there? I mean, yeah, right. one bit of pottery, one bit of bone, it's, it's really clean, but I suppose if it was a royal site, you wouldn't have great festering piles of rubbish everywhere, <laughs> which, is, which is our loss, really, exactly. isn't it? <laughs> I think I like better than great festering piles of rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 210 pounds, no less, was spent on building the pond. 210 pounds? Yes. That is a sizeable amount of money. It's a very large pond. Mary Ann's having more success revealing the palace complex by digging in the royal records with local historian David Crook. The next thing that happened was in 1234, the king's chamber was rebuilt. This time it cost 130 pounds. With 130 quid then, worth nearly 100 grand today, there must have been more than just a hunting lodge here. New King's Chamber, a Queen's Hall, a new chapel, he's glassed it and built passageways that join those two buildings. Yes. So that's definitely stuff that should have left an archaeological imprint. And one very obvious imprint, the standing remains in the middle of our site. We've all been staring at them for the past day, but how do they fit into the wider complex? But if you come through this gap, look, which is almost certainly one of the original doorways, we're in a basement, an undercroft, for storage. So we can see the full length of it, and that's the full width of it. Whereas high above, you can see there are gaps where there would have been windows. Some of these platforms, like that, and up there, yeah. are where the timbers went into the wall. 
to support the floor above. And you've probably got to it by going up an external staircase through a door into the hall. What do you think it would have looked like on the inside? It would have been very, very ornate and, and, and gaudy. We think how tasteless it was. And we know they painted them up with, with um, blues and reds and so on, and also gold, of course, so it looked really, really naff, you know. <laughs> how many people do you reckon would have lived here? I don't think they did live here. This is a ceremonial hall for feasting, for the king to meet officials and ambassadors and things like that. It's not where people live. They live in buildings attached to it. Mary Ann's making progress on the documentary history of Clipston. For over two centuries, royals entertained and relaxed here, so plenty of evidence should have survived. What's all this fiction, then? Mick, look at my timeline. I've been chatting to David, the historian, and we've put down the key points from the uh, archives. It's very impressive, isn't it? I've got so many pieces of evidence for buildings that we should be finding on site. Look, a house, a great dam, a great pond and a mill. Yeah. King's yeah. chambers all under Henry III. And then Edward kicks it off to a whole new level. Yeah. £400, two chambers and a chapel. Chapels, yeah. yeah. Stable for 200 horses. We're going to find some of these buildings, aren't we? What we probably have already, the difficulty is narrowing a particular bit of archaeology down to either the period or the function. That's very difficult. This disparity between paper record and archaeology is proving frustrating. There may once have been halls, kitchens, chambers and chapels in this field, but we're just not finding them. After the disappointment of Phil's barren trench, I'm hoping for evidence of buildings in Matt's new one. Is this going to be another one of these trenches that promises a lot and we find absolutely nothing except a bit of compacted mortar? I don't think so. I think you've turned up just at the right moment, Tony, because... You can see there. That's promising, isn't it? Have you any idea what the extent of it is? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got the edge coming up along... Well, no. <laughs> the edge of it is there. No, it's going off down there. Wow. Going off down here. At last. <laughs> around here. See how far it goes along here. Now that is huge. And you can see this hasn't got um, any nice facing stones on it. There is mortar there. There's these lumps of rock. And that says it's a wall core. It's not, we haven't got the outside of it yet, so we're talking about something which is a, at least that wide, I would say. If well, not that's, wider. A, that's a relief. Yeah, at last. You've got it, something to look at. Yeah, it may be a little trench, but it's a damn sight better than Phil's <laughs> desultory trench. Yeah, you got that, Phil? Do you hear? He's got a good trench over here, mate. I can't believe that. Proper wall. Desultry. <laughs> <laughs> Someone blew your hat off. There is a god. It's not bad, is it? We're digging for King John's hunting palace on the edge of Sherwood Forest. And despite some very promising geophys, we found little more than a couple of lumps of masonry under a mountain of demolition rubble in our trenches. We've done loads of archaeology on that side of this wall and none at all on this, which is why Mick asked John to do some geophys around here because this area is so flat, he thinks any archaeology underneath will have been protected from the hill wash, which is likely to have damaged some of the archaeology on this slope here. How have we done up here? Well, <laughs> don't hold your breath. I mean, there's very little showing on the flat area there. I mean, hardly anything. 
So mixed thoughts are we want to look further afield. Yeah. We want to try and find the extent of the complex. With the archaeology close to the ruin so badly trashed, the net is spread wider. And two more trenches are added based on the geophysics results. The first takes in a strong radar feature on the southern edge of the site. And the second transects what could be a boundary ditch to the west. Maybe, just maybe, the archaeology will be better preserved at the site edges. We've got this fantastic standing archaeology, so much promise. Yeah. And yet, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel a bit phased by this whole thing. If I can do you a slice through it, what I think's going on. Here's the original ground surface. There's one of the medieval walls, you know, surviving to quite a height. And you start to knock that down and recycle the stonework, you're going to end up with a lot of plaster mortar stuff around the bottom of it. So what you'll end up with is perhaps the base of the wall, but all around it, the demolition debris that you've knocked off the wall. But I suppose it becomes more and more work, because actually the more you're hacking away, the more you're surrounded by debris. Absolutely, yeah. So that you're, you're sort of burying the site that went with the wall under the debris as you dismantle the wall. Yeah. So that if we really wanted to understand the site, we'd have to take all the demolition debris away off the whole site, you know, sort of hundreds of square metres. Which we're not but going to be able to do in three months, let alone three well, days. I was going to say 30 years, yeah. perhaps you wouldn't. But that would be the way that we would get the plan of the original building. And in the trenches that we've already got, get rid of all that demolished material yeah. and hopefully see some of these little yeah. bits sticking out. Up until now, we found plenty of dust and rubble, but very few blocks of cut stone. Our next task is to work out where all the stone went, and Alex has a hunch. So it doesn't seem like you're getting too much in here then, Phil. <laughs> it's not as though they've just robbed out the walls, they've robbed out the foundations as well. They've had everything. Well, I've got some uh, historical information which might give us some clues as to where this stone's gone. Um, the Duke of Portland, OK, in a desperate attempt to try and improve the meadows round here, he instigated the drainage scheme. And we're actually down here, on the site down here, and uh, just up the Mourne Valley, you can see depicted here this vast, extensive irrigation system. That would have required a lot of stone. So, as a means of, of, of improving his water meadows, he mm. had a look round and he thought, ah, I know where I can get some good stone. Funnily enough, actually, in a directory entry for 1844, the work was commissioned and lots of people were, it says here, there was much spoliation was made on the venerable walls. <laughs> though it is said his grace had given strict orders to the contrary. So, in fact, he said, don't rob it out. So he was a, a, a really sort of upmarket cons <laughs> uh, conservator he then. Was. He was. <laughs> but he was on your side anyway. We could do with blokes like him, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> so, Nowadays, they take, say, take a big digger to it. <laughs> exactly. So, but mercifully, they left this for us. Do we know where the where the drainage works are? Well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to head out and see if I can find some of these drainage works and see if I can find some of the stone, if not foundation stone, then some of the decorated stone. That'd be cracking if you could. Right, well, I'll let you know how I get on. And sure enough, the water meadows adjoining the site are littered with worked stone. After careful examination, 
Alex is happy that it's of a type that matches the few remaining blocks on site. And it probably wasn't just the irrigation works that reused this medieval stone. So Alex is looking for further traces of it in old Clipston village. All coming to life. Yes. With Mickey Bradley leading the way, he's investigating the back gardens bordering our dig site. This is a lovely piece here. Now I like this. You know, you can actually see, really, that we've got the chisel marks here made by the mason almost 800 years ago. And that may be because that's the part of the stone that was concealed, or, or it's been picked like this so that it can take a plaster. But that's a lovely, uh, that's a lovely bit of stone there. Given how much of this stone was pinched from the palace, Matt's turning up trumps in his trench. That's some of the best stonework we've seen, isn't it? It's really nice, and you can see we've got three sides to it now. Right. And there to there, that's about one metre eighty. Right. Uh, and on that side, into the side of the trench, one fifty. So if it's square, if this stone is a stone square pedestal, the other side should be about there-ish. Is it not more likely to be a buttress on the edge of a building? Well, the geophysics shows this to be uh, very isolated down here. Right. There's no walls coming out uh, associated with it or around it. So if you stand here, I mean, it doesn't quite line up with the standing walls over there. Oh, yeah, it's a bit of skewtrous, isn't it? Yeah. Hopefully, though, if we get the other side, we'll know a bit more about it. But it makes a lot of sense to extend, doesn't it? Yeah, we're going to have to do that. OK. That's very good, though, isn't it? Mm. Pleased with that. So we could now have a building buttress, but we still don't have a single wall. Guided by Mickey and local hearsay, a determined Alex shifts from back garden to back room archaeology. Okay. Lovely piano. Now, Jodie, do you know what you're getting yourself into here? Yes, I do. Okay, and what do you know about this wall then? That wall, as I believe, is stone. My father had it plastered decades ago. Now, you've somewhat foolishly <laughs> <laughs> allowed us to come in here to pick away at some of this, this lime plaster, but where do you want me to start? Behind the piano, please. Right. Is there a logic to that? There is, because if what we find is not nice, we can just push the piano <laughs> back. <laughs> push the piano back. <laughs> no one need know. Exactly. Okay, right. <laughs> Several skins on here. If that's Tony, tell him I'm going to be a few more hours. <laughs> I keep being drawn back to Trench One, the trench that Phil and I have been bickering about since the beginning of the dig. The trench that I call the uh, the trench of the desultory stones. You can still see them down there. But uh, it does seem to have developed since I was last here. Phil, what's happening here now? Ah, well, we're making leaps and bounds in this trench, Tony. It's really, really coming on. And um, what about our wall here? Ah, well, the wall. I must confess I've been forced to rethink. It's not a wall. I don't think it is. You were practically screaming in my face this morning. Yes, but I had every reason to scream in, my, in your face. The evidence was very clear to me. It just meant that I have had to readjust the evidence a little bit. So there's no wall? Ah, there is. Oh, there is a wall. <laughs> Where I think the wall is is not there, but there. But what is really exciting, what really pushes our story back in terms of date, is in that corner of the trench where Matt is, we've got a cluster of 
big sherds of broken pottery that actually join together, that refit. They're in that tray at your feet. These ones here? Yep. Have you got some sort of date for them? Roman. Roman? Absolutely. But the sheer fact that we've got so much of it and that they do refit back together means that there is no question that feature and that layer must be Roman. Well, a bit of a triumph. And a hundred yards away over in the cottage, Alex has made another breakthrough. Wow. What have you got? Well, I'm pretty optimistic here that we've got a medieval wall, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. If you look at the cottage, the other three walls of the cottage are all built with brick. They're built up against this wall, and they kick out into the road as well, which is important. OK, so this is a primary feature. The great thing here is we've got really good, clean lines of coursing, OK? So that's the first indicator. If we were reusing stone, um, you know, it'd be much more higgledy-piggledy. You'd have little stones being sort of all over the place in quite random courses, but these nice straight lines are telling us that it's well bedded in uh, and possibly an original feature. And this is all stone that we know was being quarried in the medieval period as well. Why have we got a medieval wall in a cottage? The thing with this wall is that it sits beautifully on the alignment of the outside boundary of the whole site, so I'm pretty certain that this is a perimeter wall. And how do you feel, Jodie, about having a, a, a medieval wall here in your cottage? Wonderful, Alex. I'm just waiting for you to come back every weekend until you've chipped the lot off. <laughs> <laughs> get going. All right, well, get going. So at last we've got something solid that ties in with our palace theory, even if it's little more than a posh garden wall. Well, the weather's been getting better and better all day, but you yeah. can't really say the same thing for the archaeology, can you? Ooh, ooh. Yes, it has. You've been a real misery about this last two days. We haven't found anything. We don't we know... We, we We don't know what our building is. We don't know what its extent is. We don't know what the phasing is. We don't know what the dating is. We know a darn sight more now than we did yesterday. Absolutely. What you're really saying is we've been let down by geophysics. That's what it all boils <laughs> down to. Yeah. You always say that, <laughs> don't you? Yeah, well, it's true. Oh, oh look at oh. that. Oh. Eat your own words. <laughs> where, where are we, John? That's no. the standing walls. Oh, right. Yes. So we're just off the end of it. This is where I stood with you earlier. Well, we've subsequently expanded the survey, and you don't get it much clearer than that. What's the alignment of it? Just off east-west. So, so, thoughts of chapels. Oh, you'd like a Roman villa, wouldn't you? Well, we've got a pottery. I don't care what it is. Look, at last. We've got something to dig. You say that, but if it's a 19th century cow shed, you won't like it. I'd be happy. I'd dig the cow shed. <laughs> That's what we're digging tomorrow. And let's hope it's a palace. Beginning of day three, and after two, let's face it, pretty frustrating days, suddenly, bang, we're on the money. Look at that gorgeous piece of geophys. What's that rectangular thing? Could it be an Anglo-Saxon hall, a medieval chapel, a Roman villa? No idea, but at last we've got something to dig. Ian, take it away, my son. I'd laugh if it turned out to be a cow shed. <laughs> oh, another one! <laughs> Mick, this is really the last throw of the dice, isn't it? It is really. We wouldn't have time to open anything else, yeah. so we're very, very hopeful we're on it here. What's your first reaction then, Phil? Well, this has got very, very compacted. There's a lot of plaster in it, and there's, there's, there's bits here, look, that have actually got 
uh, part of a, a surface on it. You can actually see the wall face. So it could yeah. be Roma Villa, could be medieval. Well... Knocks out the Anglo-Saxon a bit, presumably. Oh, no. Hang on. What was that? You hit something. I'm sure I did. Ah, that's what I saw. Is it a bone? <laughs> I know exactly what that is. What? Window lead. Ooh! Look, you can actually see where the individual panes. There would be one piece of glass in there, another piece in there, and you can see the slot on this side here where the other piece of glass would have gone. Mick! Yeah. Mick! Come and have a look at this, mate. Oh, that's good. What's that, then? Oh, it's lead. Part of a window. Window came, something like that. And we've got, look, we've got bits of wall plaster as well. Oh, right, yeah. Well, that's looking a bit more chapel-like, then, isn't it, really? Uh, what do you mean? You can tell from just two objects that it's a chapel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not sure I'd expect this in the domestic buildings until much later on, but you would get it in a chapel. But it's early days still, isn't oh, it? God, it yeah. is very, very it's, early yeah. days, but very, very promising. Yeah. Hey, well done, well done. If Mick's right, this could be our best chance of identifying part of King John's 12th century palace. The chapel, if that is what we're now glimpsing, would have been central to that complex. Matt's building must also have been pretty grand, but hard to identify with so much of the stone carted off. Looks like you've just about finished here, Matt. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? What have you got? Well, yesterday when you came, we'd just come down to this really nice rubble mortar core here. Remember yeah. I mentioned with possible facing stones? Around the outside, we've got these absolutely beautiful, very well-made blocks coming all the way down here, and they go right down into the foundation there, so it's a very, very well-made building. It yep. fits with a palace theory. You've only got half the buttress, though, haven't you? Yeah, when we push the trench out this way, see if we get the other side of this plinth for uh, buttress, and as you can see, we've got this giant rubber cut coming straight across here. Show me the rubber cut. Well, it comes through here, chops the masonry, and carries off along that way. And there would have been a massive wall here. They've come and they've taken it all away. You can see they've left the bottom in there. Probably just couldn't be bothered to take the stuff out at the very bottom. What I like about this trench so much is it's the first piece of archaeology which gives us a hint as to what the building would have looked like. Got a couple of things here for you to look at. That's nice. It's Roman, I assume, is it? Oh, sure it is a Roman one, yeah. And you can see the interesting thing, it's been pierced, it's been yeah. used as a pendant. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I've seen a lot of these from early Anglo-Saxon graves. The early Anglo-Saxons were quite fond of getting Roman coins, piercing them, and wearing them as pendants. Ah. I'm not saying it is early Saxon, of course. It could have happened at any time, but it's... Uh, yeah. No, but it is, an, it is an interesting link that when you see a pierced Roman coin, the first thing that kind of lodges in your mind is... Ah, might be. Yeah? You know? Yeah. Now, here is something that you will be able to help Oh, that's rather nice. Pot. Yeah. Excellent. Apart from the Roman, that's the earliest bit of pottery I've seen from this site, more or less. That's what they call Nottingham splash glaze were. When you say early... It's basically... It's early to mid-12th century. Oh, that would be a lovely period. Yeah. I mean, that's gone by the end of the 12th century, this stuff. It's just so nice to get something which was here when the site began. Yeah, well, that must have been. Yeah, definitely. Spot on. <laughs> so we've now got pottery from the time of King John, but surely we must be able to identify at least one of the buildings we know made up his royal complex. With time running out, Phil's new trench is now showing evidence of a proper structure. Phil? Yo. I think we've got the... Um... Foundation trench edges here, really nice and straight. And where's, just with these the, where's the edge? There, look. 
Dead straight. That's in line with yours, isn't it? My line is exactly there. Spot on. Right down, that's it. Dead straight. Finally, what we're finding in the ground reflects what we can see on the geophysics. Paul, meanwhile, thinks he may have cracked the mystery of the 15th and 16th century pottery that's been turning up in the demolition rubble across the site. It's quite interesting because all this stuff is all mixed in with the rubble mm. and I've been having a quick look at it. It's all pottery associated with drink and all these little bits of black pottery are all bits of drinking cups. There's ah. no pottery associated with the cooking and eating of food. So what I think is going on here, that this is actually the workmen who were coming in and dismantling the place and carting the stone away. It's hot, heavy work. You're lumping stone onto carts, you're digging out foundations, you're carrying stuff around. You've got to drink a lot of liquids, especially if it's a hot day, you know? And they've just dropped their cups? Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, you know, it wasn't unusual for people in medieval times over the course of the day to drink a gallon of beer, you know, so... That would make you grip slightly, <laughs> it could slightly make you, dodgier. Make your grip a bit slippy, yeah. Yeah. But it's exactly what I'd expect to see from a medieval, a medieval industrial site, not a medieval domestic occupation site. So I think this dates the actual demolition and dismantling of the place really tightly from about, I don't know, 1470 to about maybe 1520, 1530, something like that. So the builder's rubbish is our archaeology? It's builder's rubbish. It's kind of the medieval equivalent of Coke cans. <laughs> so now we've got an end date for our royal complex, but we still haven't quite proved it was a palace. Alex and Mick, though, can now attribute a certain majesty to the site, thanks to their detective work. Well, what I've actually found is a reference here in an account from 1348. Right. Okay. And it, it, it actually describes repair work and new builds up there to all sorts of chambers, yeah. and all sorts yeah. of things going on, stables as well. It also mentions the Great Gates. Okay, so we've also got a gatehouse. So a gatehouse somewhere in that, that stretch there. And, and funnily enough, this building here in the 18th century was the Gate Inn. Right. What about this big lake down the bottom here? Unfortunately, I think all we've got left, left of this little pond is that tiny little dip down there's, there. There's this bit in front of us. But, I mean, this would have been a, a monumental feature in front of the, the palace site, wouldn't it? And certainly from where we're sitting, away to your left is this great body of water yep. and the palace is up on the hill. It will look impressive anyway, but a lot of the time it will be reflected in the water as well. Medieval hunting sites mean feasting and great rituals were attached to the butchery of deer, notably the unmaking in which the dead animal was systematically divided up. Marianne's getting her hands dirty to find out which of the hunters got the lion's share of the venison. So now we've gutted and skinned it, what do we do next? Uh, well, we've got to uh, uh, quarter it up. It's called the unmaking of the deer. The whole thing is called the unmaking of the deer. Various cuts would go to various people. The pelvis goes back to the kill site as an offering to the uh, uh, corbies or crows. That's pretty ritualistic. It sounds yeah, pagan. very much so, very much so, yeah, but it was just something they did, it's something they carried on doing. The, uh, the left foreleg would go to the huntsman, the forester. The right one would usually go to his assistant. The haunches, these are the prized possessions. This is what ends up on this. the noble's table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Let's get it on Barbie. But this act of preparation can leave clues for archaeologists. So what do the bones we've found on our site tell us? We've got, you know, the normal sorts of things that I'd be expecting from a medieval site. We've got cattle, sheep, pig, 
Uh, even bits of, of horse. There are some nice horse teeth in here. Mm. But what we also have is quite a lot of deer. The really interesting thing about deer in the medieval period is that there, there are all of these unmaking rituals, which I think you've already heard about. Of course. And uh, the bones that we've got really do conform to those. This is a foot bone. It's from the right-hand side of the body. Here's another one, also from the right-hand side. This here is an astragalus, part of the ankle bone, from the right. The humerus here is from the right-hand side of the body, as is this scapula here. The left-hand side of deer would go off to the parker or the forester as his fee for sort of supporting the hunt. The right-hand side would go to the best hunter. Now, normally, we tend to find these uh, right-hand sides of the shoulders found on village sites because most of the hunters were living in villages. To find them on an elite site is quite unusual, but I think because it's a, a royal uh, site, it is sort of suggesting that the king is the best hunter <laughs> and they're all here you don't normally find That's these brilliant. parts on on high status sites so the mardi king had to be the best hunter as well it would look that way fantastic even if we haven't got the haunch bone which would mean we were digging under the king's table has phil now found the link that will confirm the site as king john's palace phil you've done very well in such a short time absolutely but the big question is have you found our chapel? Yeah, I reckon we have, Tony. I mean, what we've actually found is this boulder-filled foundation trench, and it's bang on line where, where the geophysics said it would. It goes literally right through the middle of our trench. So that's what the geophys was picking up, although those yeah. big black lines were these boulders. Absolutely. What they've done is they've dug this massive trench over a metre deep, and I think to stabilise it in the sand around here, they've poured in a load of cobbles, yeah. and, and there are bits of broken stonework in amongst it as well, literally to form a firm base to put the chapel on on the top. We've got some dating evidence for it, uh, the latest evidence we've got is about 13th century. It's a little bit later than we hoped, isn't it? This is more like Henry III. Well, yes, but it's not the first stone-built building on the site. Because if you can see just where Tracy is, look, you can see there's that orange-coloured rubble. That is demolition rubble of a stone-built building, and the foundation trench of our chapel cuts through that. This is great news. Something was obviously knocked down to make way for a 13th century chapel built on the same spot. Could it possibly have been an earlier chapel, the Chapel of King John? The proof may have turned up in the demolition rubble of that building. We've got this rather nice stone carving. It's, it's of a hand, and you can see here, here's the thumb, and on this side, the fingers. They're all rather joined together. But look, they're probably part of a, a window moulding or something yeah. like that, and it's his hand that is that is grasping this this column. It's, it's it's a lovely piece of architecture, and just the sort of thing you'd get in an ecclesiastical building like a chapel. Must be 13th century or earlier. So yeah. that could be from the time of King John. King John may well have seen this hand. Yeah. <laughs> By the skin of our teeth, gentlemen, I think we've made it. Mm. Our host and landowner, Mickey Bradley, can now rest assured that this site will be preserved for posterity. Mickey, I've had a long chat with the rest of the team and they're pretty convinced that we've got so much evidence now that your ruin will be properly scheduled and it will be saved for the nation. Tony, thank you so much. we worked so hard for this time and Time Team have made it, has made that happen. I'm glad thank we've you made your day. <laughs>
It's rather good, isn't it? We started out with King John's Palace, and after three really quite difficult days, we've also found King John's Chapel. Anyone fancy a deer burger? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Phil, you have the first one. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Easter night on Channel 4. 8 o'clock, Jimmy Carr is the pilgrim taking on the banker. Celebrity, deal or no deal. 9 o'clock, the hunt for Walker begins. Carrie and Soul think they have their man in Homeland. Well, next tonight, Syria, the headline, Channel 4 News.